You are listening to the Massive Report podcast. And we're back. Welcome to the Massive Report podcast. We're still I, Massive Report. We are still Massive Report. Uh, and we're still here. We are still here, yes. That voice you hear is Sam Fami, and I am Patrick Murphy. Real quick before we get into the show and introduce Brett Hildbrand, who you already know, um, we do want to, quote, clarify after the news of Vox and SB Nation no longer, quote, supporting us. Uh, we wanted to update on that, that we aren't going anywhere. We will still exist. Where exactly or what platform we will exist in is still to be determined, but we will still be Mass Report. We will still be on the same link. There will still be this podcast. I've had a lot of people ask me about it, and it's hard to respond to everybody. Uh, so I wanted to do that to Vox and SB Nation's credit. They've been pretty good with us thus far about trying to help sites land on their feet. And they initially said, just to take you guys behind the curtain, that we had until the end of February. And that's still kind of true, but they're going to continue to host the MLS sites that want to until it sounds like the end of March and while helping us find potential places to go. So worst case scenario, we will go independent and we will figure it out from there. It's been done before. Yep. Before my time. That's how we started. Yeah. So if you were worried that you wouldn't have Massive Report, you will still have a website, you will still have this podcast, and you will still have to listen to us talk about the crew, whether you like it or not. And see our pictures and read our writing. Yeah. Yeah. So it will still be there. But anyway, let's dive into the podcast because it's been a while since we've done this and there's been a lot that's gone on. Uh, Brett Hiltbrand, as I mentioned, is here. Brett, how you doing? Yeah, here I am, here I remain. That's, yeah. that's, uh, it's it's, it's uh, really exciting to hear that everything is still, for the most part, ongoing as before uh, because it's important, right? If you think about uh, what the landscape of local media coverage looks like across all of Major League Soccer and what Vox slash SB Nation did to support that, the absence of their support leaves a huge vacuum in how the league is covered on a specific like team-by-team basis. Yeah. And the importance of that is immeasurable. Like quite literally, like, and that sounds like hyperbole. It's not. Been, being in press conferences quite literally across the league now for I don't even know how many years. Yeah. Like, that is so essential. So it's great to see that it's that you guys are still going. You're still persevering through that, and I hope that's the case with all of the, um, you know, the, all of the sites formerly under that Vox umbrella. As many of those as we can kind of continue to support league wide as they move a little bit more towards independence. Uh, I would encourage everyone who listens to this podcast who loves MLS, not just the crew, to be able to to make sure that you find your way over to those sites and support them as best you possibly can. And I think it's worth pointing out that while you know in Columbus we have the Columbus Dispatch that covers the crew and, and has always done a great job, there and there are other outlets as well, not just us, but... There are markets, especially some of the bigger markets, where the local paper isn't there frequently. I mean, I've been to stadiums, New York, Chicago, I think even in, in New England sometimes. like yeah. There's not a newspaper beat writer there all the time. It's usually like a secondary beat for, for somebody. I've, and, I've been pulled—I'm not going to name the team, but I've been pulled into— 
an opposing team's press conference to ask a question because there was no one there to ask the coach a question. Wow. Yeah, and like that... That's actually happened more than once, believe it or not. Sure, and you you know, that's not how you get good coverage. And, and like, look, we, we compete, and I use air quotes there, with the dispatch and, and with any other outlet that has covered the crew over the years, be it MLSsoccer.com or The Athletic when they briefly did things or, you know, name the, the outlets that have and are still around. But it's good to have different people in the room asking questions. If it ended up being, in any market, if it ended up just being one outlet, you just don't get as, you know, people think about things differently and see mm-hmm. things differently. And, you know, sometimes I had, I've asked a question and then somebody else follows up and then there's a good story that comes out of both of those questions sure. that, you know, maybe one person doesn't think about. So we're glad we're going to be able to stick around. Um, the plan is to bring the same kind of coverage we have as long as I've been around, which, which has been a while now. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're excited for, for 2023 and we hope you are, too. As we're recording this, this is Wednesday, February 15th. We're a week and a half from the first game. Um, oh, and I should say, we're going to have Brett around a little bit more often, I think. We're, at least we're trying to match his, his giant salary that, uh, <laughs> right. that, that he demands. So yeah. we're trying to figure that out while also uh, doing other things. But we're hoping to have Brett hang out with us a little bit more often in the past because we like what Brett does. So. Well, I, I, the, one, I appreciate that. I, I, I'm... Uh, you know, the, the not only are the salary demands huge, but the expense yeah. account is also important. So right. let's keep that in mind that as we fair. as we as the negotiations continue. Um, but no, I, I um, the uh, this whole off season has been so bizarre for me in so many ways, given the the changes with the new TV deal and, right. and the absence of essentially preparing for for the season that we right. have in years past. Um, and so uh, trying to wrap my brain around that has been an ongoing process for the better part of like three months now. Um, and I would say progress is slow, but I do think this is in, in many ways, this is a little bit of catharsis for me to be able to have that outlet uh, and to be able to continue to talk about this team that that, um, that we all, um, not only do we not just, not, not only do we, do we love this club and what it means for uh, the league, but I think in terms of, the new era of major league soccer that we're entering this Apple TV kind of era. Um, it's, uh, it does feel like, um, we're in this like transition phase. And so there's going to be a lot to talk about, I think, especially over say the, the, maybe the front, like 30% of the season, right? Right. The front third, um, there's going to be a lot to talk about, and that's and then we get super to talk exciting. About this League's Cup thing that I still don't really understand. We, I, to be honest, I'm not sure anyone in MLS yeah, totally right. understands. It it. Seem, yeah, so okay. there we are. But that's nothing new. I sure, mean, they, they do that all the time. the The first thing we want to talk about is the newest, well, not the newest piece of news. I guess there was a jersey release today, which we can hit on a little bit later. But um, we wanted to talk about the the trading of Jonathan Mensa to the San Jose Earthquakes. Uh, if you missed Boo. that. Yeah, I think most crew fans would agree with that sentiment, Sam. Here's what I will say, and, and for those people who haven't um, read about the details of the trade, be it on our site or elsewhere, the crew traded Jonathan Mensa, who, of course, was the captain of this team the last, how many? I mean, four, four? four years. Yeah. So, And obviously a key piece of the team came under Greg Berhalter, 
remained under Caleb Porter, lifted the MLS Cup trophy in 2020 with this club. Uh, that's just a couple of the things he did on the field, off the field. He's been a huge piece of the community. Sam, I know you yep. especially recently really got to know Jonathan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jonathan and I did not start off on the best terms as I was fairly critical of him his first season, as I think a lot of people were. But for whatever reason, he particularly singled me out and uh, didn't like to talk to me. But we, we, made, we made up over time, and uh, I think we left on good terms. Um, he's, he's a great dude, and uh, I've had a lot of fun covering him. But the crew receive $100,000 in 20, 2023 general allocation money, which is essentially just money they can use on what they Garber want. Garber bucks. Yeah. Um, $100,000 in 2024 general allocation money, and a conditional 300000 in general allocation money if certain metrics are released. Those metrics, according to San Jose, who would probably know a thing or two about this, Whoops. is $150,000 if Mensa is on the roster after the roster compliance date in 2024, and another $150,000 if he's on the roster compliance date in 2025. And they will pay all of his salary, which was something was stressed to me because Jonathan was making a good amount of money. Um, He has gotten on the wrong side of 30 in terms of a professional soccer career. I just, I want you guys to each give your thoughts and, and I'll give mine as well on, and we'll start with you, Brett. Just on what you make of this trade. What was your initial impressions? What are you kind of thinking now here a few days later? Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the best word I would use would be gobsmacked in terms of the, my reaction initially to it. Um, the, when, I, when I think of Jonah, um, a lot, what happens on the field, him as a player, is not really what comes to mind for me uh, initially. Um, he, he is... Uh, this is, I mean, this is like my 17th year working in professional sports in some capacity. And I would say he's a top three guy I've covered in terms of charisma, um, his ability to be personal. Um, and then just beyond that, he and I developed a, a real friendship that, um, that, uh, was important to me in, in, in a really dynamic way, but I think it became even more so after my wife was diagnosed with cancer a couple of years ago. Quite, quite literally, nobody has been better to my wife and I than John, Jonathan Mensa since then. Um, so he means the absolute world to me as a person. And, and then on top of that, he was a damn, or not was, is a damn, damn good uh, uh, center back. And so I was quite, quite literally shocked to see him betray, uh, be traded. Now I, I think there's arguments. I thought you were betrayed. Be, I thought, yeah. yeah. Th- there's no, that's not a, that's not a, um, double entendre there. <laughs> um, but, uh, I, I think there's a case to be made certainly for, in terms of, uh, the idea of, uh, abilities of individual players and how they fit into systems. And, and I, I will sit here and vehemently defend coaches, especially new ones coming into new situations with personnel that they themselves did not bring in and defend that coaches essentially right to change a team and mold a team however they want. I think that's exactly what you sign up for. Everybody in the locker room would tell you that same thing. This is, this is exactly what 
um, essentially what the money's for, right? Um, but the business side of this situation is a little bit tough to swallow for me just on a personal level because of how I feel about the man as a guy. Um, he's a club legend for me, and I don't think that's like hyperbole. I don't think that's overstated. Does I think, he meet all the circle of honor criteria? I, that, that's quite, that's a, exactly where I'm going with that is that I, he is a guy to me that when it's time for him to retire, he signs a contract to retire as a member of this team. Uh, and then you induct him into that ring of honor uh, with Frank BMAC. And then hopefully if we can maybe adjust the rules a little bit with PIPA at some point. Um, so, I mean, he's that tier level guy for me. Um, and, and so he, he means everything to this club and I, um, he does. And, and I, and, and I think, I think that's a sentiment widely regarded across all of kind of crew, uh, fandom, so to speak. And I would say that exists in, within the club itself in terms of the front office. I'm obviously not speaking for the front office or anyone there, but like, Everybody loves that guy, man. And so I think that was a very tough decision for them to make as well. So um, I was shocked. I was surprised. And I wish him absolutely the best. And I hope he's, he goes to San Jose and plays absolutely out of his mind, like, a, like we know he's capable of doing. Yeah, I think, I think you brought up a really good point about, especially about the circle of honor and then him just signing a one-day one contract to retire as a crew member because <clears throat> he is... I feel like he was the embodiment of what this team wants to be um, on the field, but all, not just on the field, but also in the community. And he was um, he was out and about. He, I think he kept like a stack of his jerseys in his car that he would just randomly hand out to people out of his window that are smaller than you would think that and are smell smaller, wonderful. Right, right. <laughs> and he like, got a jersey from him tossed into the stands after a game yeah and it smelled like his cologne and he just played 90 minutes right we, we, that, that'll be a fun that should be like a fun like podcast kind of tangent that we do here uh <laughs> later on in the season when we talk about cologne in men's soccer oh yeah and how and I, I i how laughably and absurdly important it is in this little like niche kind of like craziness that we all know and it'll love. be right after the podcast where we do hair the way yeah, they do their right. hair. Um, we, we'll talk about cologne and Vicks vapor rub, and, uh, <laughs> and and that'll be that'll be a great kind of like or peel. That menthol stuff that they sniff before That's the before the, the game. The smelling yeah. salts and the Vicks vapor rub. That we'll stuff talk, does. It's strong does. For, from it the, those strong. playing days. By the way, like the, I still smell it, and I like I, I go back to like when I had hair, and it was glorious. Um, <laughs> but like that. Some of the some of that stuff's funny, but that's maybe something we could do in the future. But yeah, it's cool. Uh, I, I think the biggest thing, like my reaction when I first saw it, was shit, because you almost felt like, oh, maybe in a in, in a three back system, he is the anchor of that three back system. Um, but again, like like you said, Brett, it's it's not just the player, but it's the person um, in the last year over the last season as. Jonathan and and him and I have talked for a, I accidentally discovered that he we went to the same church as I'm walking by and I see him sitting there I'm like I know you and he's like I know you too and I'm like okay um but we became friends and he had gotten into photography and yeah. we started doing like some photography thing together and uh the last home game against uh Red Bull was it against Red Bull against New York that, the that yeah the Etienne game 
um, he was like just sitting in the corner with his camera, you know, just taking pictures because he was hurt. Mm-hmm. And we're like, hey, come sit with us. Do you want to come sit with us? And he was like, oh, can I? Like, like, I'm like, yeah. dude, you're the captain of the team. You can do whatever the heck you want. Yeah. And uh, and just like he comes in, he sits, he's talking to everybody. He's yelling at his teammates on the field. I'm having to like pull him down so he doesn't get a red card from the referee for like jumping over the fence. But like he was that kind of guy. He was like, oh, I need help with this or I need to learn this. or, And and uh, that's, that's one aspect of it. But you have to think about how, to him, Columbus has been really his community in the U.S. ever since coming over from yeah, Russia. 2017 was when yeah. he came over. And not only that, this is the community that stood with him when his wife got stuck and he she couldn't come back to the U.S. for a long time, right? And that supported him. And when she came, that supported her and supported them as a as a as a couple and as a family. So like that whole support system aspect is is huge. And now he's going to um, a different city in a different state, significantly further away and completely away from that support system. And I feel, and and I I. Look, he's a smart man. He's a faithful man. I really hope that he is able to cope with that. But I think that was. I think. I think that's probably what hurt most is knowing that background. That's like, like you said, it's beyond the player. It is the person. And and you know, yes, we cover sports. Sometimes we have to set our emotions aside, or in the case of Murph, have to put him in. Um, <laughs> True. But you know, it, it's hard to. It, to me, it wasn't just about the player, just like you said. The yeah. the thing I, I he he really felt a um a, a real sense of obligation to the community at large. Sure. I think once the the armband was a permanent thing for him, and once he be kind of came the guy. Uh, when we talk about kind of the Caleb Pura era, when we talk about leadership. That was a question that came up a lot. And in the fact, and he would always kind of say like, "Oh, there's you know there are leaders throughout the entire room, and everybody um, contributes in some way or for one you know way, shape, or form." Jonah though is was very much like the guy, and he was very much the emotional heartbeat of of those Porter Porter era teams. Yeah, and the, which weren't all terrible, by the way. Right, that was the right. good 2020 season? And, they, and I and I think and and obviously like the the retrospective on that. I, 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 as time goes on, I think we'll maybe have a better idea of how we feel about those years as a whole from a bird's eye perspective. Um, but the 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 sense of obligation and and kind of the sense of duty that I think he developed a little bit came with maybe some maturity and and, and all of that. But he really made that a. Um, an actionable thing. It wasn't just words from him. Like he's like, you know, Tifo sweat. Like when was the last time you saw anybody at any league of the profile of the type of profile that he is national team captain. Yeah. Going out and doing 70 appearances for Ghana, you know, it's, it's, it's outrageously impressive. And, and, and like, like I had like, I've had non crew kind of fans come up to me and pass and be like, that dude's impressive. That guy's an impressive human being. And I mean, what more could you want in terms of a captain and a guy who did so much uh, for this for this club over over his tenure here? So wish him the absolute best. Love the man. Um, you, he's I'm an I'm a hundred percent a ride or die for Jonathan Mensa and always will be. 
the to go back to Sam talking about Jonathan with photography, and I think this kind of encapsulates a lot of what we're saying about him off the field. He initially got into photography prior to coming to Columbus, and he was taking pictures of birds, mm-hmm. was what he liked to do. Yeah. And he bought a nice camera, and when he, I believe it was when he came to Columbus, when he was getting transferred to Columbus, he gave the camera away to a friend or teammate. This was a, you know, an expensive camera. He gave it away because his friend had also gotten into it, and he was like, I'm going to move you take this camera, like somebody who couldn't afford equipment like that. Mm. Um, then he moves to Columbus. Obviously, Sam said his eventual wife could not come with him. Uh, but when she did come here, and I want to say she is here now, so she will be his right, support yeah, system yeah, moving out to San Jose. So that's that's a positive. But he he bought a new camera, a nicer camera, according to him. And the first thing his wife told him was, you have to keep this one. Don't give this one away. <laughs> yeah, so about that. Uh, so I was with him on that endeavor to buy a said camera and very large lens. And uh, the, voice, the voice messages that I got from him and his wife later that evening, <laughs> I mean, I was playing them to my wife, and we were both dying because she is used to me spending money on camera equipment. Uh, I don't think his wife was <laughs> yeah, quite no, probably not. ready for that that thing. But yes, she said, she said, now he has to take better pictures of me. So I was like, yeah. I think that's a fair trade. I was yeah, like, sure. I'll give him pointers on that yeah. so that yeah. he can get even better pictures of you. But yeah, that, I, was, that was pretty funny. I, I think the flip side of this is we're talking about professional sports here. And, you know, you, Brett, you said coach, new coach coming in and all that. Look, Jonathan is going to turn 33. He's actually a, just under, just over a year younger than me. Um, he's going to turn 33 this summer. I feel like You're 30, so young. I feel like 33 is very young, but in professional soccer terms, not so much. Um, from what I know, this Wilfred Nancy came in. He's obviously evaluating everybody, right? But. The back line was something he especially was interested in seeing because he wants it to play a certain way. And the, the defenders were made aware early on that, that was a, they were all being evaluated. Uh, how well Jonathan was going to fit in what Nancy wants to do, I think we'll kind of have to wait and see. We, we saw this back line, this three-man back line in Montreal yeah, in my mind, I think Jonathan could have fit, but I didn't. I've seen some practice, but I've not seen all of it. So it's hard to judge what was happening in practice and how they are exactly trying to play. I also think that you have to look at what else is on the roster, how much, and we were talking about this before we went on, Brett made the point, how much other guys cost versus what Jonathan's going to cost. And as we reported on Master Report, this deal was not done in a vacuum. There is a next move to be made. I think if you've been on the crew Twitter, Reddit, Verse, there's been some, some center back names thrown out. Um, I don't know for sure who they will bring in, but I was told that they are pretty close on a guy. I know, obviously, as I said before, the season starts in a week and a half. So how quickly that player gets into the club, gets integrated into the way they want to play, all that is yet to be seen. But it's obviously a decision that was made for on-field purposes 
I'm sure that Wilfred Nancy didn't have some big dispute with Jonathan or you know any sort of personal issue here. Uh, as you guys said, I, I hope he goes to San Jose and does really well. Uh, the crew in San Jose, despite being rivals during rivalry week, plenty of times, and I'm not the first one to make How that joke. How could you trade them to your yeah, rivals? Yeah. Um, I don't think we'll, we'll, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, I don't think we'll see much of Jonathan over the next however long. He, he remains in MLS. Um, but I want to echo what you guys said. I think, I think he, he was a great ambassador for this club. He was a great captain. It'll be hard for whoever is named captain next to fill his shoes on and off the field. And I will be consistently paying attention throughout, especially the early part of the season, how this back line wants to play and trying to figure out exactly what about Jonathan's game didn't fit. You know, Jonathan wasn't the best in possession if they want to play certain ways. I mean, he could keep the ball and, and play simple passes, obviously, but you know, I'll just be interested to see how it how they're going to play because I don't think it was that he can't defend anymore, even being almost thirty three years old. So it, it'll it'll certainly be interesting from a tactical standpoint what they do differently. The um, the, the the tactical side of this, I think, too, is not only are we not only will it be kind of evaluated and judged in. Like you know, the very first time that we see this team play in an actual game, but I think also over the course of once this this new addition, whoever it is, and whenever they come, once they're integrated and and mo- you know, because yeah. like like it, it's not just this is not exclusive to MLS; it exists everywhere in professional soccer. The the new signings play right away, no matter what, and so that new guy's kind of integration. And, and as we all know, whether you like it or not, there is a learning curve that comes with playing in MLS. Especially if it's somebody coming from another league that there has not only, played in MLS There are before. only a handful of guys that, are, you can, that you can look at throughout the history of the year that have hit the ground running. Especially at that position. Yes. And Jonathan was one of them. Like, uh, Jonathan right. struggled yeah. to, to make that and, and so and, and I think... Um, without without being in the room for for some of the tactical stuff, um, in in you know Nancy's like uh, both thought process, but I also think some in time in a in a philosophical way, um, the what they're going what they're trying to do, we're probably not going to see the actual tangible, very obvious kind of points of that early on in the system because I don't think he believes he has the personnel in place to be able to do some of his foundational stuff. So I think what we see, say, February, March, is probably not going to be maybe the quote-unquote end product of what they're trying to accomplish that we might see August, September with the Columbus crew. Yeah, and I think you could probably apply that throughout the field. Yeah. You know, they they have been hesitant to go out and make significant changes as I wrote about a couple weeks ago because Nancy wanted to come in and see what was on the roster and evaluate, you know, not just the guys that played a lot last year, but the guys that didn't play a lot last year. Right. And the young guys, you know, the Jason Russell Rose, the Mo Farsis that were signed to the first team. I think he's very intrigued by Crew 2, yeah, by the way. Absolutely. I think that's fair to say, right? Like, that there was something about Crew 2 that definitely, like, caught his attention in right. a very dynamic way. Yeah, I mean, from what I saw from the practices we watched, I mean... Even guys who are 
clearly still part of crew two, you know, guys that have first team contracts, guys that don't. They were in with this group all of preseason. He wanted to get a good evaluation, and we know he likes to play young guys and, and develop young guys. So there, there was an evaluation process. We saw it with Philip Quinton. That was a guy who I don't know what the conversations were when his contract was declined. I don't know if he bet on himself to get a better deal or if the team wasn't ready to, to give him a new deal, how that all worked. But the guy worked his way into a first-team contract right. as of a couple weeks ago. And, Brett, like you, you said before we started recording, from things you'd heard, he's, he's been doing pretty well. Yeah, supposedly the, that he's made a big jump. Um, which is kind of crazy to think about a little bit in terms of how well he was playing with Crew 2 yeah. a year ago. Um, I mean, he was a f- yeah. he traded to get traded up in the first round right. to, to get him. And, and I think, like, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a cliche, but when we talk about guys, players, right, and we talk about potential, I think he is a real, he's a high floor, high ceiling guy. Um, and combine that with, some of what you learn on an intangible level in terms of kind of the business of soccer, what that guy has learned over the last, say, like year and a half, um, I think is pretty impressive. And so um, I'm not entirely surprised to see or, well, I should say, I'm not seeing, to hear that he's made or taken a step. Um, One thing that I, uh, I, and and I'll I'll, I'll circle this square here in a second, one thing that, that Wilfred Nancy said last year when he was with Montreal that really like clicked with me and the reason and, it, and I, it's been kind of burned into my brain um, now like the you know going on basically a year since he said that um, was the idea of confidence and how you coach confidence or how you manage confidence and he was very like part of this I think was 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 maybe. Um, a French to English translation at the time, but he was very like adamant of the line of demarcation between coaching confidence and managing confidence. And I think there's something to be said for the greater crew two group and their overall sense of, of team of accomplishment, what they did last year, and then the confidence gained from those things coming into this year that he latched onto in, I think, a really big way because he looks at kind of the game in and of itself uh, in a very similar way. He, one of the things that he said last year was that, you know, they, they essentially the way he's coaching and managing is he has kind of these foundational principles, but within those, there are these some boxing and chess. Yes. Some of these ambiguous, somewhat nebulous kind of parameters where he wants guys to be able to feel their way out and be creative, be confident within these somewhat vague boundaries, right? A framework. And so essentially throwing these guys into situations especially ones who were had success last year and there's a lot of potential to build upon that to, to then to see those guys fill that space is not necessarily a surprise and so i think that's actually a very exciting thing for this overall kind of progression of Columbus Crew Soccer. Crew 2, I think, is a lot more important than maybe we realized uh, in the grand scheme of things in terms of its influence and impact mm-hmm. on the first team uh, than we maybe 
considered uh, or even expected. I would say it, for me, especially expected uh, from coming in from last year to this year. Do you feel that he may have gotten a more expansive view of crew too because of Courtois? I think there's a French connection for sure, yeah. right? And the ability to converse, you know, French to French, right? Uh, the the I, I think it's as someone who's working through a second language and trying to become bilingual. There's and spending you know the last several years um, kind of integrating yourself into the pockets that exist linguistically um, um, within teams and within rosters and how those uh, kind of groups can divide depending on you know native native you know native right. tongue native language. Um, like your Ghanaian contingent, your Spanish contingent. Yeah, your, exactly. Right. You know, having so, having somebody like uh, um, I'm blanking a great now. example. Uh, somebody to, who can speak French. A great example, right, would be Pedro Santos. Right. I think is so um, a guy who could drift between groups because of the he spoke English, he spoke Spanish, spoke Portuguese. Um, he fit in kind of everywhere, right? Um, and, and then because of that, he was such a valuable part of this team over the, over the last several years. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, the, the South American guys are always sitting at the same table at dinner. Right. You know, the Brazilians or the Portuguese, you know, native speakers are sitting at the same table. The English-speaking guys are doing that. Um, it, other languages, French German, whatever it might be, right? And that's that's not so, like a rift in the team. That's no, just a it, comfort. It's level. just how it works, yeah. right? And in, in, in within the idea of, of multinationals in, in a multinational locker room, it's just how it's going to work out. Um, and so I think that exists with coaching staffs, right? Like look at his, look at Nazi's coaching staff, right? All native French, French speakers. So I think there's something to that. I, I, I don't think it can be understated that the... Um, the connection that exists naturally, just you know, on a comfort level uh, basis between Courtois and Nancy, I think that's an, a huge intangible benefit for for everyone involved, and I, and and so I think that there's absolutely something to that, 100. percent You kind of touched on where I wanted to, to steer us next, and that's like what we think this team is going to look like, how they're going to play. We have two years of of Nancy at Montreal, one that went pretty poorly and one that went really well where they finished one point off the Sporter Shield winners and the two MLS Cup finalists or two points whatever it was last year um, there he played this 3-5-2 variation but when I talked to him on his at his first press conference he mentioned that that, it, that initially came about because of injuries they went to three in the back and he said he wasn't married to that and since then he's been very vague <laughs> Yeah, about how he's going to play and three in the back, four in the back. The way he's described it to me is that you know it doesn't necessarily matter. The way they want to attack is free, kind of what you were talking right. about. And then defensively, there are very structured principles that regardless of what formation you're playing, operate no matter what. And so players have also been kind of vague, some less so than others, some more so than others. I'm pretty confident in saying that they will play three in the back um, and you know, some variation of, of how they played a year ago. What will be interesting is how that works with this group that was played some three in the back, five in the back last year, but was very structured to play 
four two three one. Um, and I'm curious, Brett, from your perspective of kind of being around this team as much as you were last year, how you think that can kind of fit, assuming that they do play some variation of what he played a year ago. Right, and not not just you know we're talking about Caleb Porter's teams, right? So not just playing out of that four two three one, but then defending in a four three three. Um, it, it, and, and, and then using that front three to push opposing center backs it, 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 to essentially allow them to distribute to a side that they want. Where the crew wants them to right? go. Yeah. And um, it's, it's, and so a good example of that or a good kind of like a way to personify that is how many times we saw opposing teams on goal kicks kick at Pedro at left back because he was so quote-unquote small. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was because of the natural overload that exists when you have that front three and they're trying to occupy the two center backs. Well, if you have three, which is how a lot of teams lined up uh, against the crew, that may, that caused some issues for, for, for crew teams, especially in an attacking sense. So um, I do think it's, it's there, there's a, a really interesting kind of tactical formation kind of conversation to be had worldwide and kind of this resurgence of back three back five I, I to me is like somewhat of an older quote unquote I don't feel like I don't feel like I'm old but we're an older kind of um I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm the oldest one on this podcast fair right enough now. uh well, Brian's not here to me it's a that back, is fair uh, when I when I think of the vernacular I would call this a back five because wing backs are Backs, right. right? But the, the, I, it's a little bit six and one, half a dozen the other. It's a back three, back five, whatever you might call it. Essentially, the, the core principle is the three are not um, of like an outside back variety. We're talking about a left center back, right. a center center back or middle center back, and then a right one. Um, if you look at the way that this crew roster is currently comprised and the number of true out and out center backs that they have playing three is going to be a bit of an interesting wrinkle just because they don't have a ton of depth in that spot That's at based the on what they have now Currently. like before bringing anybody else Correct. in so uh which is why i think like what we see this team look like maybe the first three weeks of the year is going to be much different i think in a formational philosophical way uh in the back half of the year well and real quick one of those guys that they do have, Josh Williams, is also getting up there in right. professional soccer age, has been out most of preseason. I I don't think I've seen Josh on the field to this point now. They're in Miami. I haven't seen them down there. But like when they were in Columbus, he was not doing a ton. Yeah. He did do some stuff with injured guys and whatnot. But like... Is that a guy at this point in his career you can rely on to be a starting center back anymore? You know, he, the last time he really did it consistently was 2020. Right, and and, and I think I think in terms of, and I, again, this is it's a this is a bit ambiguous, but I, I think in terms of what I expect, especially the left sided center back, what they're asking of that person, I think actually suits Josh Josh's best. Sure. Uh, abilities, forward face it, goal facing, right, attacking facing. Right. Um, it's just it's just if you can stay healthy, right? Yeah, I mean, like that's right, the thing. Right, right. Can and, you play regularly? And so, are are you able? Are do you have the ability to 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 play a line breaking straight pass? Do you have an ability to play a ball over the top 
in so a straight ball bending run to an outside winger can you hit the switch right Josh can do all of those things. But he's not left-footed, which you would probably prefer. Exactly. But I, th- I think so. It, 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 it'll be that'll be a fascinating dynamic uh, to see how they kind of do some of that. Um, but the 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 thing that I love that I I, I really especially enjoy is like um, the 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 vague kind of like hinting that we've gotten uh so far this preseason at what may or may not happen that's a very european thing um in especially terms of with, especially with not being able to watch anything yeah so one one of the things that well some of us have watched some things one of the best talk. yeah whatever one of the best things that happened in the 2022 season was when uh was against inter miami and um how the Higuain game the one, the midweek, yeah, Miami game. So, at how close to the vest Phil Neville played formation, personnel, starting eleven, all of that, and how it was like double top secret, eyes only, DefCon one kind of stuff, to the point where Inter Miami literally put out a wrong infographic about their formation that we got like ahead of time for our pregame show on Crew Live because he didn't want like. Caleb Porter and the, the crew to know what actually the formation was. So come kickoff, they were playing an entirely different formation than what they... Was it the same players? Same players, yes. Yeah, so personnel can't change. That's a league rule. Right, okay. But the way those are lined up, right, the way those are, are manipulated, oh, it's a 5-4-1, it's a 4-3-5-2, it's a 4-3-3, whatever it might be. We were just talking about that right before you got here yeah. about how like it feels like he's going to keep things super, super, no, super he, tight. I mean, that but then, but then, at some point, we're going to be able to predict, you know, based on based on who's available and who's playing well and who's not playing well, like from game to game. So when that happened, it, it, what ha- like literally they played for like the opening kickoff right. and then switched, and and as like a broadcast, we were like at sixes and sevens for maybe the first ten minutes. The crew, if you go back and watch that game, were one hundred percent not prepared yeah, it wasn't for great. that, mm-hmm. um, and. Asking around the league after that game, it was really interesting to get some of the perspective of that where everybody, all the American managers and all the American coaches that we talked to were like, oh, that's a European thing. They have to deal with that all the time in, in top tier, and not just top tier, but any of the, any of the European leagues, especially I think like the, the top two levels across all, the, all, uh, across all the countries, that like the idea of being as covert and clandestine as you can possibly can with some of that stuff because of how scouting is and and how, um, I'm, this is my word, but how nefarious it can be sometimes. Uh, it's, it'll be fascinating to watch that dynamic as opposed to what we've had in the last couple of years with American managers who, for the most part, will tell you whatever you want. Right. Um, well, and you knew. And that'll be so interesting. I'm so excited for that yeah. because that was so much fun in like a classic, like, that, can I swear on this podcast? Yes. Okay. And it, it, this is really exciting for me. And the... the um, <laughs> Uh, I don't have a potty mouth, but sometimes I do. In the way That's that this, not in, true. in the way that you get em- a couple drinks in and bread, well, yeah, the, and he's only had half once. Yeah, the way that MLS and its batshit crazy kind of way that we that I think is, I would love the league to lean into that a little bit more on a personal level. Um, that just feeds into it for me in in, in a really exciting way. The, t- the 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 Tiago Almeida teams, oh my god, like shoot that directly into my veins and some of some of the we'll call it questionable things that went on there in terms of like 
what formations were released and personnel and all that, like all the lineups, all that stuff was awesome. And so it'll be fascinating to see how that dynamic is different from the Caleb Porter era teams to, to this Wilford Nancy team now. Yeah, and I think if you are a... English That's not to say Wilford Nancy is going to do anything nefarious. That's not going to happen. Right. But the idea of what's what's what was forthright and forthcoming, how is that going to change now? I don't. I don't know if you if you knew about this or we uh, we got banned from going to practice. We used to be able to go to practice willy nilly whenever we want. Um, at one point, Bobby Warziha got really really mad at uh, Sean. Because Sean could predict Mitchell. Sean Mitchell dispatch. Sean could predict his lineup to a T every game. Everyone could predict Robert's well, exactly. Lineups. That's yeah. the thing. But yes, yeah, he so was not your stereotypical then, European coach. Since then, we were no longer allowed to attend practice. <laughs> I think if you are a fan of the top European leagues or or any, if you follow the European leagues closely, this will be nothing new. Right. Right. I mean, if you watch, you know, the English Premier League, for example, regularly. The first few minutes of the game, often the announcers are trying to figure out who's lined up where and pointing out things that maybe aren't what everyone expected. If you follow guys who cover the team on Twitter, you know they get the lineup and it's in on a, sh- on a sheet, you know, just a list. list. Yeah, right. and they're trying to okay. This a lot of times sense. it's numerical too. That's right. the other thing. Right. right, and we've seen that in MLS with some teams and their lineup yeah. graphics and whatnot. I was told the first thing I was told about Nancy was he's great to deal with on everything except his lineups and that he will wait until the last possible second to give them to the broadcast team and that like that is you know, which is his, fine by the way that's totally fine right yeah. i was gonna say what, what from a broadcast perspective you know and you just kind of answer well that. i would say i would say for me personally and i don't want to speak for any other broadcast teams um you know pre-apple tv but for us like um from a technical standpoint, you kind of need that information in terms of graphic building and that kind of stuff. If you don't have that, I mean, does it make your show better? No, I, but in some level, I'm not sure how much it actually matters. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that, that'll be a fascinating wrinkle a little bit with the new broadcast deal in terms of now there's no quote unquote team allegiances, right? right. Suppose, supposedly. Um, and in terms of, you know, the broadcast is now officially 100%, you know, agnostic. Neutral. Right? And so the league. Yes. Not the team. Right. right. So there might be some requirements. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and I could see coaches laughing in the face of some of those, which would be awesome, by the way. Please do that. Uh, but I, that that'll be an, a, a nice, interesting wrinkle to the to the way that this is all going to the new way in, in which this is all going to look and sound. Well, and I also think we should point out, Nancy was an assistant coach under Thierry Henry, and say what you will about Thierry Henry as a manager, but Thierry Henry was coached by Arsene Wenger for a long time at Arsenal, and Arsene Wenger, I don't know the guy, I don't know anything about him as a coach other than watching him as I was growing up he seems like a guy who wouldn't give you he would play those, these type right. of games with people and so you know whether that was and, and Wilfred played over in uh, over in Europe and whatnot too so like he has no experiences but under a guy like Henri I could see that being something that uh, you know were, were tricks of the trade but uh, if we are guessing I'll say educatedly guessing uh, about this team this year. 
I think we've made it pretty clear. We think they'll more often than not play the three, five in the back. I think it'll be very interested to see what these wingbacks look like. Right. Because they've got a lot of different profiles. You could go like a Luis Diaz. If you're not going to play with a natural winger, this is a guy who's in a contract year who says he wants to earn a new contract either mostly with this team, but somewhere. And he told us that he has played some fullback wingback when he was younger. So you have that option of like your true attacking guy who can maybe also defend a little. You've got your traditional fullbacks in like a Will Sands, a guy who can still go forward a little bit, but that's not a part of his forte right now. Really, as a young player, you've got Steven Marrera, who can certainly push forward, is still a good defender, who's probably the ideal hybrid of mm-hmm. fullback to, to play a wingback position. Uh, so you've got various options on either side of the field. Right. Uh, I'm probably forgetting a few guys there, but my Mo point Farsi. is... Mo Farsi. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Farsi, and yeah. he's a guy who's played in this three-back system before. And he can play either side. Yeah, and he's pl- with Crew at times last year, I believe, if I remember correctly, he played... Outside, some of the outside center back spots mm-hmm. when they had other guys that were playing the wing right. back spot, um, and I think that I think there is some appreciation for Mo Farsi by uh, Nancy, whether that's just because of what he's heard from Lauren Courtois. Now, does that mean he's a starter day one? I don't know, but it'll be very interesting to see what that looks like and. That could be game to game. That could be a tactical, mm-hmm. you know, okay, maybe this game we need to play more of a real five back. Maybe this game we're at home and we're playing a team we think we can pound. You put a Luis Diaz out there to push it a little bit more while still making sure he has these defensive responsibilities. And then how does that change the responsibilities of other guys on the team? Yeah. You know, your, your central midfielders. We assume that's going to be Aiden Morris with Artur gone and Darlington Nagby. What do the two attacking midfielders look like? Um, you know, we know Lucas Zellerian is going to be one of those guys. We assume, I think, Kevin Molino will be, if healthy, yeah, exactly. should if be he one of those healthy. guys. And I think we saw some very positive things from Kevin Molino when he was healthy last season. Um, so I think there's a lot of just like, how does it all work together? And obviously, you know, I will tell you from what I've seen from preseason, and this was all pretty early preseason, it was... Still very much a work in progress. Now they've spent a week and a half in Miami, and obviously they've played two preseason games, and it was reported by uh, Bailey from the Dispatch today. They beat Houston 4-2 to two last Saturday, and today they tied... Or sorry, they beat Miami 4-2, to two, and today they tied Inter-Miami uh, 1-1. Those lineups and things obviously changed and fluctuated, but there's just a lot of unknowns... Mm-hmm. I think with this team, which like everyone is waiting to to get answers for, even even those of us who have seen little bits and pieces. And and again to add to that fact, we've seen the jump in Luis Diaz's performance when Cucho came in, and basically Cucho was kind of coaching him that Spanish to Spanish connection, like you had mentioned earlier. And how much more like what has that progress been in the off season or in the preseason for Luis Diaz, like? Has he become more aware of how to play in that Cucho, Lucas Celerion triangle? And then how much does that work in their favor, the fact that they can yell at each other in Spanish? Well, and just, again, he's in a contract here. Right. right. And I know a lot of times in MLS we don't talk about that as much. 
for whatever reason because it's a big secret about how long contracts are and things. But like, you, know, you talk about that in the NFL, you talk about that in the NBA. You know, guys know that, that they need to perform again, whether it's he's going to earn a contract with the crew or you know anywhere else. The guy wants to continue playing professional soccer beyond this year, and I mean he's he's pretty young. Yeah, right. And I'm not saying he's that he, a lot younger than we realize. Yeah, too, right. He's way. only like 26. I'm not maybe, saying that I he believe. won't. It's hard to look him up because of Liverpool signing another <laughs> Luis Diaz. Um, but I'm not saying that he won't at all. I'm just saying that he, you know, he has something to prove this year. He's 24. Yeah. Um, he has something to prove this year, and. You know, it's probably going to come in a different role than what he's used to. Which is, which is, for in in my mind, that's kind of exciting in terms of what he was asked to do in Caleb Porter's system on a regular basis. I think, I think, and he would admit at times he failed to maybe live up to some of those expectations. Um, Cucho's uh, introduction to the team. And their connection that they established pretty much on day one. I mean, not what, what I mean. Obviously, we saw in Chicago, and the ball that Luis plays to Cucho that he eventually, you know, scores in the it, it, the, the game at Soldier Field. Um, there were the, the the tangible benefits of and it, of those were obvious. But I think there, um, there was something about their they developed like a friendship pretty quickly that I think benefited Luis more than I ever would have imagined. Um, and I think I think you know they're they're right around the same age um, and similar interests. Yeah, and I think and I think too the um, there was just something about the way uh, the way Luis. Um, played wide in an attacking sense. So as a straight out-and-out winger, that Cucho was able to to influence in a positive way, both in a, in, in a um, finding him as an outlet, but then also as a way to to give him essentially a target right. um, that I think Luis just embraced and, and really ran with. And so you, the, to see the the kind of the the, the surge that we saw um, from him. Uh, you know, once Kucho was in the team and, and playing, I mean, th- that was obvious uh, to everybody. Um, I wouldn't, the, in terms of him being like back to the touchline and a uh, perpendicular service. So when I say perpendicular service, I mean like sh- hip shoulders facing in the field as opposed to the other way and parallel to the touch. The goal. Yes. Right. That'll be interesting to, to see if that's even how they want him to play, if yeah. he's going to be that right wing back. Um, that's a lot m- more of short passes. Chances are a lot. Of, I would expect some of the buildup to come out of a back four. And so what I mean by that is, so if you have your three center backs, your two wing backs, right? So that, that imagine that five. Yeah. One of those wing backs will shift forward. The opposite wing back will drop, and it'll look a little bit more like a traditional left back, left center back, right center back, right back, back four. Some of that build up, I would expect to be come out of that back four. Or if one of one of the like the D mid drops back, and that then can they also create happen, that four yeah. back line. which is what we saw Caleb Porter do a couple right. of times. The a good example of that was the game at, at BMO against Toronto when when Sean Zawadzki kind of dropped in between the two, two yeah. the, in between two CBs at like times. Like Will Trapp used to do. For 100%. Right. 
I, I um, will say one of the things, without giving away too much, because these preseason games are secrets, one of the things I did see, and this may have just been the player, and I won't talk about who it was so I don't get anyone in trouble, but uh, one of the outside center backs tended to take the ball and go and step into that midfield a little bit. Uh, it was just one of them. They played two completely different lineups in the halves. And so I will be interested to see if that's something that is being told to players. And then you can you could still have that four in the yeah. back if you have a center back that can almost become a third central midfielder. If you're confident in, in a progressing center back in terms of dribbling. Um, I don't know if that will be a tactical thing or if that was just... They were scrimmaging the Pittsburgh yeah. Riverhounds. I think I, I think the, the overarching kind of theme that you're going to kind of get from what we're talking about in terms of personnel and how that personnel is used is that there are questions that I think Wilfred Nancy is asking of these players, and it's up to them to be able to answer those questions in a satisfactory way. Essentially, like, here are my expectations... I want you to be creative in those parameters, but are you then able to meet those expectations within that framework? And so when we talk about guys like Luis who are possibly slash probably playing a different role than he has previously, that's what's fascinating about this team and, and, and about this season. We, have not, we haven't had those questions about a Columbus crew team for quite some time. Right. And so that's what I think makes this offseason and this preseason um, maybe a little bit more intriguing than years past because we kind of knew how Caleb was going to play, right? He would tell you, we're going to play 4-2-3-1. Darlington's going to be here. He's going to influence the play in, in, in the buildup in this way. And, you know, we hope that, you know, whoever the striker is, they're going to, they're, that's going to be kind of the tip of the spear and how we press is the in counter press. We're going to use those guys Um in a very specific way. We don't really know that now. Right. And so that's, I think, a, a fascinating kind of bit to this conversation and, and the overall narrative of this first part of the season. Well, and there are some guys, too, that, have, aside from Diaz, that have some questions about where does Alex Matan fit right. in all of this stuff? Um, you know, how much do we see those young crew two guys that are technically first-team contract guys how much do they fit and where do they, you know, we brought up a Sean Zawatsky a minute ago. That's a guy who in brief moments last year showed some things. How does he fit into this whole picture or does he fit into mm-hmm. this picture? Um, how much do is, is Nancy willing to change what he did in Montreal to fit here to have success? Because it is a different team. It's not, you know, it's not the same players, and you can't just pigeonhole these guys into. You know, this isn't a, this isn't FIFA, right? So you can't just say, oh, "Okay, well, here are the roles." Despite that I have. a lot of people thinking it is, <laughs> right. by the way, but like or a football manager, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You can't just at least football managers a little bit more complex, but you can't just say like, oh, "Okay, wing back is a wing back. I play this guy here. I put you know." Right. right? There's going to have to be some nuance to it. And I think it's going to be really interesting, as you said, Brett, to see. No, I was telling you to wrap up the tactics. Well, the the last thing I wanted to say, I was asked, I've been asked a variation of this question quite a bit or like told by people that they think this team's going to be really bad. And my question to these people or people asking me if I think the team's going to be bad. And my question is like, why? Why do you think that? 
And people were like, well, you know, they lost Pedro Santos and they've lost Derek Etienne and now Jonathan Mensa, and they haven't replaced any of them. And my response is, well, I don't know where what Pedro would do on this team. I mean, he could play the wingback role, but I think you have other guys. We'll see what Derek does, but that may have been a career year for him. And we'll see what they do with Jonathan Mensah. That's a more newer one. But I think you have to remember that while this team was disappointing these last two years, a few points here or there, and they're in the playoffs. Last year, if they'd been able to score goals early Several in the season, of them were taken away by Montreal, just saying. Yeah, well, and my whole point is like, okay, you've, you as a club, not necessarily the fan base, have put your trust in this young manager. Let's see what he does, right? And if, if they truly believe, the people that are paid to make these decisions, and as much as people didn't like Caleb towards the end, he did win a championship here. If, if they get this right with Nancy, you know, maybe you're not the best team in the league this year, but there's not too much that I think needed to change just because you didn't make the playoffs by two points last year. Now, could they go out on the field and get worked by Philadelphia in the first game of the season? Sure. But, you know, you're going to get Cucho and Lucas playing together for a full season, God willing. You're going to have a guy who, who has some different ideas about how to use players. We think you're going to bring in a DP-level center back. Um, there are still pieces on this team that I think can be pretty good, and I think that we just have to, we have to trust that they made the right decision with the manager right now until we see otherwise. Yeah, and I think the, the, um, the phrase I would use would be clean slate. Yeah. I think it's important... And uh, forgive me if this sounds like I'm lecturing um, or admonishing, but like I do think one of the things that uh, I think is a bit of a blessing and a curse when we talk about crew fandom is the idea of the what I what I would call perpetual context. In that, um, we always remember previous iterations of teams and what those teams look like and what those teams felt like, and especially I think some of the negative aspects. Um, in the, or, or I guess maybe the better word would be the f- more frustrating aspects or attributes of some of those teams. And this is a full-on... Unless they win yeah. everything. Well, yeah, of yeah, course. Sure. And, and, and winning, and, and, and it, regardless of what sport we're talking about, winning solves and cures every ill you have. Um, but this is, this is not, it's not a full-on rebuild or it's not a reboot. Other than this, it's just going to look different. But a lot of the personnel is relatively the same. And the, what we talked about in terms of the idea of the potential that this team has, and I think sometimes what we saw last year and the year before in terms of their inability to reach or achieve that potential, this is essentially a new way of trying to get there. And it's going to look different. So I, I think it's important that adjusting expectations in the in in kind of the idea of it being a bit of a clean slate is an important way of looking at this new season and i think for me as someone who can be somewhat of an optimist at times um maybe to my own fault uh that's exciting that's really exciting and so um are there a lot of questions that need answered yes um but I think they're interesting questions and I think they're exciting questions. And I do think it, especially in an attacking sense, 
This team's going to score a ton of goals. They should. They should score a ton of goals. Yeah. Assuming health. And, um, and, and I think we have just scratched, in a very specific way, I think we just scratched the surface of what Cucho Hernandez is capable of. You saw bits of that brilliance in flashes last year. What does that guy do with a full season? And a full off season. And, and also being like fully match fit. Right. Uh, what does that guy do? And what does that goal tally look like? That's in terms of excitement alone, that checks the box for me right off the bat. Well, and one quick thing I went, I meant to say this earlier and then we'll go to a break, but I also asked Nancy about the fluidity potentially of that front three, because he mentioned how, if you watched when, uh, Colombia played the U.S. Kucha played on the left of an attacking three. And he mentioned how he liked to see that just when we were talking to him about... Kucha played wide at Watford as well. Correct. And so obviously Kucha is going to be central here. But let's say you've got a front three of of him, Lucas, Molino, or maybe the the Molino position changes. We'll see what happens. Uh, Another guy I forgot to mention earlier, Yao Yaboa. What does he do this year? Mm -hmm. Um, But... uh, interchanging a bit more I could see of that front three you know and we already have seen Cucho pull wide and and open space for other guys but you know how much does that chemistry work a bit more right with that front three here um it'll all be interesting to see all right we're gonna take a quick break I forgot to mention off the top that we're at Saucy Brew Works here we should probably include that yeah, trivia night great Saucy sponsors, Brew Works. trivia night and uh we're here at Michigan and third uh if uh, you like brew, why not be saucy with your brew? Oh, God, wow, I totally it. almost butchered that. Stop it. Anyway, stop yeah, it. Well, we're going to try to be here on Monday nights, so come out and uh, hang out with us. Maybe even get on the mic, possibly, at or, some point. Or don't. It's up to or you. Or don't. It's up to you. But yeah, they have good coffee. There's definitely really good food. So yeah, we'll be back in a few. We're back. Uh, nice Again. little, nice little break there. Yeah, this was not as long of a break between the last podcast and this podcast. No. And just to reiterate, we're at Saucy Brewworks on the corner of Third and Michigan. Man, we should have just sat outside and recorded. It was such a lovely. It is. Day it's today. a nice day outside. You know what's gonna happen? It'll be. There was there was an ambulance or whatever that yeah, came yeah, yeah. by that would have ruined it. Sure. There's reasons not to record podcasts outside, but you know what's gonna happen is the. First game of the season against Philly, it's going to be lovely in Columbus. And then March 4th or whatever it is, Freezing when DC cold. and Pedro Santos come to town, it's going to be like the middle of January weather somehow, because that's how these things work. One of the coldest days of my life, of my of my life, was the home opener in 2022. I was in Puerto Rico. That? It was warm was there. Cold. You want to talk about... And, I, and I'm... Like, like I hate, I despise winter. My patience for it um, is, you know, grows less and less. You're as a golfer, years though, so that kind of makes well, sense. Well, and I'm, I'm not an indoor, I'm not an indoor or dog, so to speak. I right? thought you seemed a little grumpy today. Yeah, so. well, no doubt. I did play golf today. Um, uh, but um, the I not super long ago went back and rewatched that broadcast. 
I look so miserable during that pregame show. It's it's genuinely funny looking back at it. Um, and so so yeah, it'll be fabulous here. It'll be like this. It'll be like the best weekend of the year. And in Philly, it'll be like forty and terrible. Right. And and then you're right. Come next week, we'll 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 get like a snow the night before. And it'll be rough. It'll be terrible. Can't yeah. wait. Super stoked. Love Ohio. I don't Lightning. know if supporters are planning to do a sunrise toast like they have for the last few years. I don't know. That'd be kind of cool. See how that goes. I'm also not a morning person, so have fun with that. Yeah, me neither. See I've you when I see you. Before, but yeah, like 5.30 in the morning, 6 o'clock with Pete, and it was with Dr. Pete, and it was, yeah. I like, do. There's so much alcohol. If Dr. Pete's around. there, then count me in. But. I do enjoy day drinking, early morning drinking. But 5.30 in the morning seems a bit excessive to me. But good, I, I appreciate the people that do it. Anyway. I think the upside, like in like 2020, they did that. It was like at 6 o'clock in the morning, and the alcohol was flowing. And then there's a McDonald's across the street. So they just ran and got food and came back. One of there is not a McDonald's across the street from no, Lower Dock. Not even close. One of my favorite memories was the, the first Trillion Cup game and day drinking while the, 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 like the three or four busloads of TFC fans were out in the parking lot. And um, having, like, that was, like, truly, like, one of my favorite, like, crew days of all time. And uh, um, I remember the, uh, like, walking into the stadium and being like, whoa, this is, this is a way different feeling than normally showing up 20 minutes before game time while you're driving in and sober right. and all of that. Yeah. Um, it was, that was a, that was an interesting, um, sensation. I could to, tell to come you to, about to the first time it. I drank at a crew game, but I don't think it's podcast appropriate. Fair enough. So we'll, we can talk about it. So um, do it. Massive tell part it. After dark. After dark. Speaking of, of that's, drinking that's behind games. the paywall. That's the behind the paywall. Right. Part Speaking of, we're going to afford a yeah. massive report website. Speaking of drinking before games, we would be remiss if we did not oh, yes, um, say call. a farewell to our good friend, Randy Sims, friend of the podcast, yeah. uh, massive crew fans, by all means of the word massive, uh, a guy that I've parked next to at the old stadium for, I believe, the last five years and been, ho- been offered scotch every single time. Uh, and I think the, the one that we joyously took, me and several other media members, was uh, the first game after the crew was saved. Mm-hmm. And... He was like, you're not going to turn me down. I'm like, you bet I will not. Um, so we shared many a toast with Randy. Uh, he will be missed, but his well, legacy will go on. Yeah. Uh, at the opening game, there will probably be several scotches uh, taken in his honor um, at the tailgate. So if you know or you don't know Randy, ask about Randy yeah. and uh, partake in a scotch. Can I, can I just add on an anecdote Absolutely. there? Um, so... Uh, you know, obviously, I would assume most people, if you listen to this podcast, are familiar with Randy and and um, and his story. But um, specific for me, um, knowing who Randy was is like that guy during my pre-broadcast years as a Columbus Crew fan, um, and not realizing that he lived in West Virginia until like the Danny's until the DZ Danny's Zatella days. Right. With if, and I would encourage you to go to, 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 to go read Cirque's story. There's a name that has not been brought on, up on this podcast in a long, If anyone's long time. asking about my crew bona fides, by the way, <laughs> I just checked that box for you. Um, 
But uh, I would encourage you to go read Steve Sirk's story about Randy and, yeah. and how DZ kind of comes into that and in, 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 in kind of comes into that story. Um, but uh, the, the state of West Virginia means the absolute world to me. And the fact that Randy lived there and is from there. Um, so getting the opportunity to actually like meet is the wrong word because I have met him like years past. But the, the, the context of actually like kind of putting a face with a name um, last year and then to talk about West Virginia it's where I met my wife it's where um, like she and I started dating it's like that place is everything to me and it's people mean everything to me um, and I think it's important kind of it's an important part of my story and and so to be able to kind of share that with him and then to have him kind of appreciate that in a way that maybe others didn't um, was really special to me and so um, he he's He's uh, forever going to be a part of how I think about the Nordeca and Columbus crew fans at large. He's an influential factor in that. And, um, and I think there's a lot of gratitude that I feel towards him um, because of that. So uh, his memory is not something that will fade over time. It's ever present. It's perpetual. And um, there aren't too many people you can say about that. And, and so he, he's a special guy and, and, um, you know, obviously sad that he's gone, but his memory is something that I will always be a happy and positive one for me, for sure. Well said by both of you. Um, not easy to follow that up by going back into soccer talk, but sorry, no, that's fine. No, it's important to bring that up. You're right, Sam. And I think you would have wanted us to talk crew soccer. So we're going to slowly start to wrap this up here, but I wanted to ask That's you, a new thing. If I'm going to be part of this, mass reports are going longer, baby. Oh, yeah, no worries. They, they um, Brevity is not the have, soul of wit when, have I, when I have a mic history. in front of me. We have the history of 90-minute to two-hour podcasts <laughs> before. so the, the, And I'm sure they'd prefer to listen to you more than they'd listen to us at this I point. Don't, I, I don't know if that's true or not. But. Before we, I get your opinion on this new jersey that dropped today, the Velocity kit. Uh, I wanted to oh, ask... It's not, wait, wait, wait. It's not Velo City. No, it's okay, not. Okay, I'm so confused. Velocity. Sorry, I mean, it English, might be, but it's spelled it, velocity. English is my second language, so. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And you do a great job with it. But Thank uh, you. I wanted to ask you guys your one, or maybe in Brett's case, two, uh, biggest narratives, storylines, however you want to interpret that, heading into this season. And we'll start with you, Brett. Yeah, as has been uh, the essentially kind of the. Um, Maybe the, the, the foundational uh, uh, or like, let's say, meridian uh, kind of line of thinking and narrative over the last several crew years for me is essentially how does Darlington Nagby influence both build up and then um, direct influence in the final third? What do we what does he do in the Wilfred Nancy system? that essentially is Darlington Nagby being Darlington Nagby. I've said it in the past um, that I could sometimes become a little bit frustrated with him essentially uh, being further into the field. I don't think he, uh, and, and if, um, you know, if he was here, I think we would have a, a, a pretty spirited debate. I think he's an eight. I think he's a dynamic eight. 
Um, I don't. What see, do you think Darlington thinks he is? I don't really think he cares. I, I think I think Darlington is kind He's of such like, an interesting guy. Is is like a, I'm just going to go out there and be me, and wherever that position is, that's. Something I feel that, that almost every coach that he's played for kind of given him that to a certain degree is like go out and do your thing, yeah, without I, strict parameters. The, the the you know there's my my wife calls. Um, calls it the competency curse. If you're good at everything, a lot of times you're restricted a little bit in terms of what you're able to do. And so the guy can play five different positions and be like MLS best left and 11 in those five. Um, but I think, I think when you saw the Columbus crew at its best during his time here in a black and gold uniform, more often than not... Sometimes a gray uniform. Fair enough. The More often than not, those moments are with him in the attacking third and being dynamic in in both the buildup but also as a final pass. And taking and, shots on goal. Right. Well, and so I think the best example, not to interrupt you, but like just to bring it up, without being a goal scorer, was that Toronto game when sure. Sean Zawatsky started and the way he helped create that first goal. And he wasn't playing the ten. You know, Lucas they weren't playing that way. But just like his direct influence when he decided, I'm going to go forward. Yeah. And you and I have talked about this a lot separately. Like He can do so many things. Mm-hmm. And then like the frustration, I think, is that when he doesn't give all he can yeah. to I mean, the team, when, especially when they need it and other guys aren't out. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for it. Like, and I think, I think it's, a, it's an interesting kind of philosophical debate in terms of um, what do you do best or what does the team need? Right. And how and how the, the push pull of those two things and how they influence players on the field is a fascinating conversation to have. Um, and I think in terms of for me, what what you're expecting from him in the Wilfred Nancy system is going to be. I don't even know. I'm not even sure. Like that's that's I think the most interesting part of it is like I'm not really sure what he does. Um, and I can't wait to see how. um you know, Nancy uses him in a way that's beneficial going forward because I think that's when he is at his best and the Columbus crew is at his best. Um, I would say that's 1A. If I'm going to do 1B, uh, it's, I hinted on it earlier in the podcast, it's, it's what Cucho does with a full season and a full runway. Um, the, uh, the, the thing that with him that is I still have a little bit of trouble kind of wrapping my brain around if you look I believe he scored eight goals in That's, twenty that sounds right in twenty twenty two. I can fact check you here. All eight are Who? different. Kucha? Kucha. Oh yeah. yeah right? Yeah, yeah. And all with like, his head, with his knee, with his ankle, he, with I his, mean he's he's scoring through uh Scoring off of crosses, mm-hmm. he's scoring with with uh, cutbacks. He's he's um, cutting in on a dominant right foot and bending to the far post. He's playing off a shoulder in behind. So the fact that he's nine goals, nine close. goals, three assists, um, sixteen games. The fact that he's able to score in so many different ways and be dangerous in so many different ways. Add a full season into that, like I don't think it's 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 out of the realm of possibility to say that this is a guy who could go out and score fifteen plus goals. How many games did they play in MLS? Thirty-four. 34. So like, he played half of that last year and scored nine goals. Yeah, like with I, the team that he didn't know and 
the goals fitness. per minute, the goals per 90 is a really interesting stat. And some of the, in, in, at some point we, I would love to be able to have kind of an extended conversation about soccer analytics and how those are the ebb and flow and influence of those over the last couple of years and how those kind of affect coaches and which coaches use them more than others. Um, but the goals per 90 um, stat with him specifically is, is crazy. It's outrageous. The goals per minute is insane. And so what does that look like? You know, touch wood, knock on wood on a full healthy 34 game season. Um, it's not out of the realm of possibility that it's 15, it's 18, maybe even 20. Like it, we're talking like the idea of potential is so fascinating to me. It's something I talk about a lot um, that I think, what does that look like if he's like, like genuinely like I'm talking like MVP caliber, most dynamic attacker in the league type potential. I mean, he's like a, he reminds me a lot of Joseph Martinez. For sure. And here, here are a couple interesting, just looking at stats here. So he took 88 shots in those 16 games. That's a lot of shots. He put 30 on target. So it's 9 of 30. Pretty good conversion right there. He also got three yellow cards in 16 games as a striker. Which, uh, Most of which for the, were, were for descent, for by descent, the way, yeah. which, is, well, which is cool, too. I was just going to say, if you've ever played soccer with or against me, uh, that's right up my alley. So, uh, there's, there's I don't a, like it, and you're going to hear about there's it. There's a reason <laughs> that uh, I just got red carded in a over 30 D-League the other night. So, uh, yeah, there's, there's a reason I like Cucho. Uh, <laughs> Sam, do you have a... Uh, a storyline in mind, or do you want me to go first? I think I think my storyline is really kind of what we have talked about this entire podcast. It's it's this going into the unknown with Nancy, with this team, with how it's Non-C. going to play. Nancy, long that's right. Nancy. Um, I just want the fans to know how to. No, no, and that's that's fair. And it's it's. Um, I think it's that's that fear of the unknown is causing the fans to like freak out even more than usual. Uh, because they're like, we That's didn't do the anything. Ohioan we didn't do everybody. That, that no big we're, signings. The, we're scant, we're, we're uh, scarred. Yes, and, and no right. big signings. Which was part of the plan this offseason. Right, but that part of the plan, whether it's part of the plan or not, it doesn't matter. The fan thinks we're not doing any big signings, this, therefore we're going to suck, Agreed. which is kind of what you mentioned earlier. Uh, and then you know the the parts, and I guess that's in the realm of possibilities, right? I don't the parts think it of the be. team, the parts of the team that you traded away, or did not keep, or basically let go for a handshake and a smile, um, were fan favorites. Pedro, Derek Etienne, Derek Etienne had probably his best career year last year. Absolutely. You know, on one hundred percent, right? Career year. So those Jonathan, the, Jonathan, you know, and that's aside from Jonathan, so. There's there's the entering into the unknown. I'm going into the season with zero expectations. If they make the playoffs, that's great. If they don't, and, and now now that's a topic for another podcast is MLS thinking of going to what is it? Eight teams. Everybody makes the all sixty two percent of the league. Makes like the yeah, like so eight teams from each side make the playoffs. So is that the gauge? No, I just want to see like and Brett, you kind of mentioned this is like what we see in the first four weeks, month and a half of the season, which kind of almost acts like preseason anyway in previous years, is going to be very different than what we see at the end of the season. Right. I just want to see what's at the end of the season. I want to see it be better than what's at the beginning of the season. And that's, that's kind of really all my expectations out of this year for the team. My big thing that I'm, my narrative going in, and we've touched on it a little bit, is that what do these young players bring this year? Caleb Porter, 
made it clear to me, I'm sure you heard it, Brett, that, that there is a gap between MLS Next Pro and MLS. That, yeah, Jason Russell Rowe came in and gave them some good minutes when they needed it, Mo Farsi when they needed it, but it was a need thing. I get the sense that Wilfred Nancy doesn't see it the same way, that, that these are guys, assuming they you know, continue to make progress, and I've seen Jason Russell Rowe in practice and in that scrimmage. He is confident. He looks... Now, I don't know if that, you know, they signed Christian Ramirez. He seems the obvious number two striker behind Cucho. I don't know what that holds for Jason Russell Rowe. They're different players. But, you know, those guys, the Sean Zawatskis, the number of guys that we've mentioned, how much do they figure in? Is, are, are they able to make that consistent jump to M- the MLS level? Are they ready for that? And, you know, I think, look... I agree with you 100%, Brett. I think Cucho mixing with Lucas for another year, I think this could be prolific. I think you could have arguably one of the best tandems attacking-wise in MLS. And if you can get a healthy Kevin Molina for, Molino for most of the season and add in what he can do, I think that's really interesting. But at some point, you're going to need a backup striker, whether that's coming in late, whether there's an injury, whether you need to go to whatever it is. How much does Jason Russell Rowe fit in there? How much does Mo Farsi fit in at those wingback roles? How much does Sean Zawaski get in with Aiden Morris and Darlington Nagby in there? Um, you know, there's there's a number of guys that, that you could mention, and you know what the, you mentioned that confidence earlier, and I think that's huge. These guys, a lot of them, are coming off a championship. There's not as many guys anymore on this crew team that lifted that MLS Cup in 2020, and again. As Caleb said, it's a different league. It's a different level. I think if you've watched it, you know it's a different level, especially last year where a lot of teams didn't put a ton into MLS Next Pro. But there's still something about that. I think there's a lot of belief in these talented Phil Quinton's another one. Um, I'll just be very interested to see how much more we see of these guys in important roles when it's not just a need, you know, an injury, uh, whatever the case may be. So a, a tactical question to kind of wrap this part of it up to, to both of you. And I had this as we were talking earlier. Do you think there's a possibility that you see Jason Russell Rowe play some winger position throughout this year at some point? I think the more likely would be Kucho as a winger and then Russell th- J- Jason Russell Rowe through the middle. I think that's probably more So you're likely. basically playing with three forwards. Yeah. So I think if you go well, back. Yeah, definitely possible. Right. I went through and looked back at the way that at least MLS listed Nancy's formations last year, and there were a handful of times, maybe not even that many, where they listed as two up top. And Kai was often one of them. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if that is a thing you could do. Because to me, Christian Ramirez seems closer to Cucho. In, in the way he mm-hmm. plays. Not the same. They're not the same guy, but closer to that. Whereas Jason Russell Rowe could be a guy who does some different things that, that maybe you see instead of two attacking mids, you see one with those up top. And maybe that's an evolution throughout the season or a tactical thing or something like that. One thing that I'll, I'll add in, and I'm saying this as in um, watching it in, in some of the, um, confidential time that during training that I, that we were able to view um, last year. And so I don't think it's out of line to say, to kind of shed some light on it. I would say, don't be surprised to see Jason Russell Rowe um, 
be able to play multiple positions at times. He's a lot more of a cerebral player than I think we maybe give him credit for. And part of that is just because we haven't heard from him a ton. But I think as as, as time goes on and maybe he's uh, we're able to, to kind of maybe uh, hear his story a little bit more. From my time that I've spent with him, I found him to be... Um, his ability to contextualize his experience and perspective from the game, like blew my mind a couple times. And, all, and I think you I'm, actually got him to speak. Yeah. So <laughs> I, he's a very quiet. Kid. Well, yeah. And, and there's nothing wrong with that, but no. and, and I'll, and I'll say that and, and I'll, and I'll personify that with a story that he told me, um, that I, I don't know if I said this on the podcast. I know that we didn't talk about it publicly because he wasn't super sure whether or not he wanted that, wanted it out there. But since that was a season ago, I think it's fair to, to, to bring it up now. Um, that he when he started against Toronto at Toronto last year, when he played, he had two assists in that game, was really, really good. Um, he had noticed that, I, be, I believe it was Mavinga, the center back for Toronto. He had noticed that when, when he had his back to goal facing an attacker, that he had a tendency to step a lot. And what I mean by step is essentially like lunging with, an, with, with a foot for the ball, right? And he had, was like, well, if he steps, I can play balls through his legs or I can shoot through his legs. Now that's a really crazy thing for a young player to recognize. First real professional okay. season. Right. It, just just to be able to kind of recognize that is pretty impressive in and of itself. What did Columbus Crew's second goal in that game look like? Mm-hmm. Is Jason Russell Rowe receiving the ball back to goal, turning, playing a pass through Mavinga's legs to Darlington Nagby, who goes on and finishes. Yeah. Twenty one years old. Yeah. That's outrageously good. So the fact that he was able to see something, recognize it in training, and then put that into practice basically a day later against grown-ass men, not my words, um, in a grown-ass men league, that was impressive. So, And that's something that stuck with me throughout the entire season. So I think don't be surprised if if, um, we see his ability to play maybe multiple positions and to float and to playmake and to be able to understand what guys' strengths and weaknesses are. His ability to kind of see that and then really influence that, I think it grows as the year as he gets older and plays more. So that's something I think is really positive for the yeah, team. Yeah, and I, as I said, like, he looks... I don't know if he looks bigger, like muscular... But there's just a different air about him. I, I love think, the guy. I really do. Yeah, I really I love think, the guy. I think this. I think this year he knows what he's doing, as opposed to a year. And I don't mean that like on the field, like you're talking. About. I think he did know that. But I think this year he comes in knowing he's a crew player, not a crew two player, and he knows he's. This isn't. He's not playing for that opportunity to join the crew roster. Right. He is a crew striker. He knows Cucho's the guy, but he he understands his position. I think. Probably the Nancy factor is, is a big thing in terms of the way he, he knows. I think a lot of these young guys know yeah. there's a bigger opportunity. And I've defended Caleb not playing. You know, Caleb's job was to win now. And so playing young guys doesn't always lead to that. For sure. And you can argue whether you know maybe that would have helped him win now, maybe not. Because he didn't have the runway. I think that's fair to say. And, right? and Wilfred is certainly a guy who is going to use young guys to some capacity. And to my point, we'll see how much. So what you're saying is because he's going to look really good in that Velo Ossity shirt. Yeah. 
I bring this. I bring ahead. this up because it is uh, like it's eight minutes. It. It's eight minutes it. till closing time, and we got to get uh, one last get call this for last. Alcohol. This is yes. my fault, by the way, for the record. No, no. no this is up. this is a it's good. Because I told my girlfriend that I would be home before ten, and uh, famous I last words. Yeah. Yeah. She told uh, me that was no chance. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me how you feel about that jersey, Murph. I like the. I saw the jersey. Several weeks ago. Well, it technically got semi-leaked by. Yeah, I saw it before the room. And look, I think it's it's a crew jersey. I am fine with the crew having. It's, they're supposed to wear it. A plain black jersey and a plain gold jersey, and I will be a happy camper. If you want to have, if you're allowed to have a third jersey and you want to do gray, I would love them to bring back the charcoal jerseys that they won the Open Cup in. But look, I don't need anything fancy for my jerseys. I. You know, I, I'm happy, you know, the design on it is fine. The explanation that they gave about, like, the rising city and the speed and all that, I didn't really understand all that, even though I wrote it. But it's, it's, it's a black crew jersey. There's nothing ridiculous on it. I'm pleased with them, and I hope they wear the gold more often because that's what they should wear every time unless they can't, in my opinion. Right. So uh, I forget the philosopher who said this, but um, uh, hell is other people. Okay. Um, or my, Cincinnati. My, my own personal hell is real. is Jersey discussion. Um, right, right. You can you can here, and here's why. <laughs> um, I don't know anything about that. I am not. This is just your opinion. This is this like is a strength jersey? and weakness kind of like a SWOT analysis of my own kind of. Um, well-being and, and, and personality. All I know is that when you go on Twitter and people describe jerseys as clean, I don't know what the hell that means. <laughs> and to be honest, I don't think those people know what it means. So I'm out on any Jersey discussion. I'm like, it's like, did, I'm not a deferential person in any regard with the exception, maybe being this, if the Jersey people like it, cool. I'm good. I don't care. It is not my jam. They could be wearing trash bags. I don't care. It's not like, it's like, I think it's awesome. But then again, you know what I think? Every jersey looks cool, with the exception of Austin's. That one sucks. But I'm, the, and if I think it's bad, whatever. Now the uh, FC Zardes liked the Austin jersey. Well, if Jossie likes it, now, all right. I, the I, the I, you changed my opinion entirely. If Jossie likes it, I like the it. The FC Cincinnati jersey now has, has, has contaminated water on it. Oh God! You know. All right, Sam, give your opinion on okay. this jersey. So no, I, I think it's I think it's fine. I it 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 doesn't strike me again. It's just this is coming from a purely graphic design. Yeah, look. I, please. Like, I see the floor to you. <laughs> well, thank see you. See my time. Um, no, but it feels like and somebody I I'm not going to take credit for this because somebody else had mentioned it. They said it kind of feels like a black version of the gray jersey, and it is. And it looks like all they did is added motion blur to the triangles, and. That is it. So they just made it black. They made That's it dark. Fine. That's fine. And it's, again, I actually think, you know, it's kind of like the yellow jerseys. I was like, I wasn't really thinking that they were that great. And then I saw them on the field on a nice day. And I'm like, okay, even with that awful crest, I think it's okay. I think they're okay. I kind of, I kind of like them. I'm not as anti-buying them anymore. And I think the same is going to be to the black jersey. Is like, once we see it in real life and how it looks like, on people not in pictures like while they're playing in them I think that's going to make a difference I like also, everything also their prices are absurd I like everything are they? and what whatever the, the authentic prices uh, according to the 
crew shop website is 195. I think that's been normal though, isn't it for authentics? No, authentics are usually 149. They used oh, to be okay. they've been 149 for a I long knew they time. Were 100, All I know so. is that I like everything and if it and if you if someone took the time to put it out there good stuff cuz I don't care. Um, if you want to read more so happy happy for you or sad or whatever that means. <laughs> if you want to read more about the jersey and everything behind it. And they Check partnered. out the replies to every crew tweet over the next six weeks. <laughs> well, my, I was Hashtag going, Crew96. I was going to say, read it on Massive Report. But <laughs> if you want to find out how crew fans feel, you can do that. Because uh, they'll tell you. And they will. Here's what they said. Uh, change the logo. And I just want to, I've said this before, it's time to let it go, guys. They're not changing the logo. You can keep yelling into the void. It's going to be but, there. If you don't want to buy it, there are plenty of alternate options. Our friends at Supporters Fly have some great absolutely apparel that you but, can buy. But hold on. Hold on. The team listened to their their complaints and feedback, and they are changing the post-goal no, song. They're and they're giving them the choice yeah, to change gonna, the post-goal that's song. That's what I was going to end with. I didn't, I didn't prep you guys with this. Post goal song, go. Just if you had to pick, not a clue. Just go. Give me a song. I don't even. Just care. give me a, any song. I, uh, what would you do? Uh, I'll go with actually Morgan's recommendation for Spanish Fly or Spanish Flea. Tijuana Brass. All right, I'm going. Call me maybe by Carly Rae Jepsen. This okay, is massive, that's good. This is the massive report, and there are people out there that will get that joke, but there's only a few of them, and they probably won't listen to this podcast. This is the Mass Report podcast. Saucy Brew Works, corner of Third Michigan. They're closing. We need to get out of here, Brett. Thank you. We hope to have you on a lot more. Sam, you're going to be here. We will have a podcast so before confident. the start of the season. Yes. We haven't figured out exactly when we're going to do it yet. Maybe Sunday. Uh, Are they like going to turn off the power if we don't get yeah. out here? Yep. It's like you got like you're the, someone's counting you down right now from. 30. Even if they turn off the power, it's we like run our batteries. Hit. No one from TV is listening to this, but it's a hard out. It's a hard out. All right, let's get out of here. Thank you guys for listening. Mass Report, like, subscribe, follow us on Twitter. We're not going anywhere. See you guys later. For Bart, bye buddies.